Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is more to be desired than gold and sweeter than the honeycomb. We pray that you would make it so to us this morning, that, that we would long to hear and know and to be empowered to obey your word. So Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be so obviously present with us, speaking to our hearts, transforming us to be like Jesus, and sending us out to do the work you've given us to do. And so Lord, as we come to hear your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It's a pretty common experience. Maybe you've said it. Maybe you've had it said to you something like, you've heard me, but are you listening? Right? You've heard me, but are you listening? Maybe, maybe the other way around. Right? You, know, you you're, say you're listening, but do you really hear what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it's when you're the person who's saying that to someone else, it's one of the most frustrating things in the world when you're trying to articulate your desires, your heart, your feelings, how you've experienced this situation, and the other person is responding and acting in an, a way that's 90 or 100 degrees, just completely opposite of what you're asking of them, and it's so clear that they're not listening, right? And it's incredibly frustrating. But then when you take a, a step back, you realize, well, I've been that person <laughs> dozens of times, if not hundreds of times. I myself have done that to other people. You know, whether it's your spouse, your kids, your coworker, your friends, whatever, uh, there's this tension in human relationships between uh, hearing and, and really hearing, or, or hearing and listening. And the way that you will know if somebody has really heard you is, is often how they live, right? How they behave after your conversation, how they respond. And, and if we're honest, we are like that as well. And there's a spiritual this is a spiritual truth as well. That's what James is getting us to think about this morning, is that there is a tendency or a temptation for us to hear what God says, but to not really hear what God says. You know, here are the parts that we like and not hear the parts that challenge us. Here are the parts that make us feel good and not hear, hear the parts that uh, exhort us to, to be better, uh, to rely on God more fully, to submit to Jesus more completely. And what James tells us in this passage is that you show your listening by how you live. That's kind of the big idea this morning. It's right there in the verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I'm just putting it in my own language. Show your listening by how you live. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Now, he begins with that verse uh, 19. There's, there's three commands in verse 19. Uh, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And those three short commands, very brief commands, actually sort of give you an outline for this passage. So uh, he begins in verses 20 through 21, unpacking what it means, or riffing on the idea of being slow to anger. And then in verses 22 to 25, he riffs on being quick to hear. And then in verses 26 and 27, he returns to this idea of being slow to speak. So let's first of all look at slow to anger, verses 20 and 21. Let every person be slow to anger. In verse 20, he says, the reason that we should be slow to anger is because the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. How many of us have experienced this situation when because of the anger that's happening in you and in your heart, you say something or you do something that you can't take back? 
It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't produce something that's in accord with the character of God, with the love and holiness and mercy and grace of our God. When we are full of anger, we can often lash out either in our words or in our actions in a way that completely contradicts, is completely opposed to who God is and what God is like, how God would have us respond in a specific situation. This righteousness that he's speaking of here is just that general uprightness of heart, doing the right thing. You know, righteous in that sense of um, doing what's right, doing what's best, doing what honors God. He's calling us to reflect on the, the contrast between our behavior when it comes from anger and our behavior when it lines up with the righteousness of God. There's a church father from the sixth century, Ecumenius, he, sort of a great turn of phrase, he says, it may be wrong to be slow in other things, but when it comes to anger, tardiness is the right policy. And he goes on to say, because often that anger will dissipate, right? Before you had a chance, if you take a minute to cool off, you, uh, before you interact, before you say something or do something that you can't take back, don't respond out of anger, but seek to live out live in a way that reflects the righteousness of God. And then from there, he, as I said, it's riffing. It's like, it's like jazz. He begins on this note of slow to anger, but then he expands that. Not only do we want the righteousness of God when it comes to our anger, but we want the righteousness of God to be expressed in our life in everything. Verse 21, he says, um, he extends that principle and says, put away all filthiness, all wickedness. This is just a general call to sanctification, a call to be serious about our spiritual life, serious about growing to be more like Jesus, serious about seeking to obey him with God's help. <clears throat> and he actually gives us a clue. How, you know, how do we take a step back and, and let God's righteousness overwhelm our anger or let God's righteousness determine how we're going to act in a specific, specific situation? Look at verse 21. He says, put away all filthiness. So put, put off, Paul will say, put off the uh, unwickedness, put off uh, immorality, put off sin, and put on Christ. James is saying a similar thing. Put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive the gospel, which is able to save your souls. Receive the gospel. Now, he's not talking about conversion, because we already established last week. He's writing to Christians. And this is really, really important because the gospel isn't just the way you become converted and become a Christian. The gospel is the fuel and the power and the encouragement and the motivation for all of the Christian life. You know, it's not just the diving board that you jump into the pool, it's the whole pool. It's going deeper and deeper into the gospel that changes us and transforms us and provokes in us love and thanksgiving toward God. And so he says, receive the implanted word. Put away filthiness and wickedness and receive the implanted word. See, the Christian life, is, it's like an engine. So I, I drive a Mustang. So I want you to imagine that I, that I drive my Mustang over to the gate gas station and I put diesel in it. What's going to happen? Yeah, not good things, right? Not good things. I might get halfway out of the parking lot, but then it's going to go really, really sideways. The Christian life is like that. It's made for a specific fuel. It's made for the gospel. 
Our life is supposed to be fueled by the the message that Jesus died for us, that God sent his son because he loves us, that he's made us children, his, his children, that he's adopted us, that he's brought us into his kingdom, that he's filled us with his spirit. All of these blessings that we have are supposed to encourage us and strengthen us and motivate us. But if we put the wrong fuel in the engine, things go bad. If we put just self-reliance, just bear, I'm going to try harder and do better, well, it's not going to work. If we just go, to, go back to the law and just condemn ourselves again, well, that's not going to make us stand up and go and sin no more. We have to receive the implanted word. You know, I was getting ready to preach about this this week, and last night I had to give my three-year-old son, Ari, a bath. And I don't know why, but he just does not want to cooperate in any way, shape, or form. I like to tell my wife about the traumatic experience of giving my three-year-old a bath, and she's like, I don't understand. When he, when he does it with me, he does everything I ask him to do. He's completely compliant. He won't, he won't put his head back to rinse his hair out. He won't let me help him wash himself. Last night, he put soap on his hands, and he rubbed his hands together and immediately rubbed his eyes. And I was just so, like, I wasn't off the handle, but I was so frustrated and so angry. I was like, just listen to me. Just do what I'm saying, and things will go so much better. And I just got immediately convicted. Isn't that what God is like with me all the time? Just listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I say about you. Listen to how I care for you. And I thought of Romans 3.25 where, um, you know, I was quick to anger, but in Romans 3.25, it says that God put forward Christ to be the propitiation, to, to receive the wrath that we deserve. And he did this because he had been passing over former sins. Because God is patient. He's waiting and waiting and waiting and calling people to repentance. And it's only at the right time that he sends forward Christ. That, that message, I, I need to, in that moment, take a step back and reflect on who God says I am and what God has done for me in the gospel. And let that cool the fire of anger. Let that galvanize the strength of conviction. Let that strengthen me and fuel me and empower me to seek to live after Jesus. We have to receive. It's not, it's not automatic. You have to receive it. You have to intentionally receive the implanted word, the gospel, and let it work its power out in you. So James says, show your listening by how you live, and the first way you're going to show that is by being slow to anger. And the second thing is just more that general principle. Be quick to hear and do. Be quick to hear and do. That was verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And he gives us, I guess it's worth pointing out, hearing's not a bad thing, right? It's not hear or do, it's because you hear, now do. You know, so don't, don't think that we're not supposed to read the Bible, hear preaching, uh, read Christian books, and have Christian conversations that encourage us. We need to hear. One commentator said, uh, he, he paraphrased that command, quick, be quick to hear. He said, hurry up and listen. So some of us need to hurry up and listen. We're not listening to the Bible. We're not, you know, when it's time for somebody to get up here and preach, we're thinking about what we're going to have for lunch this afternoon. We do need to hear, but we, we need to hear in order to obey, hear in order to live a different way. And he gives us three characteristics of people who don't hear, and probably three dangers for us. In verse 22, I already read it. He says that the ones who hear but don't do are deceiving themselves. You could also translate that word deceived as deluded. If you think that, that having heard 
meaning you heard the words and you understand the concepts, but it has no bearing or impact on your life, you're deluded. That's what James says. He's worried about the people who think, hey, if it's all grace, I can just live however I want. The people who think, Jesus is my savior, but they hold him at arm's length when it comes to him being Lord. They, they think, yeah, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but here's all the reasons I'm exempt from having to do the things that God's commanded. James is worried about that person because he's saying you're deluded if you think that's how it works. If you think you can pull one over on God, if you think that you can just hear and not let it impact your life, then I don't think you've actually heard. The person who justifies their own sin, right? Who, you know, it's really easy to compare yourself to other people and minimize your sin and maximize theirs. James says that's delusion. One time I had a guy, I was in a previous ministry, I had a guy, it was a friend of someone in, in my church who called me and he, we got to talking and he was, he was having an affair. And he started telling me, you know, uh, pastor, I know that, I know you're going to tell me, you know, faith without works is dead. I know you're going to tell me that if I really have trusted in Jesus and, and am forgiven, then that, you know, God, I'm saved by grace through faith and not by works. And I'm created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I know, I know all the things you're going to say to me, pastor. I, I know you're going to say, put off filthiness and put on Christ. I know you're going to say all those things to me, but, but let, me, let me tell you my story. Let me explain why. Subtext. Let me explain why it doesn't apply to me. He wanted, he wanted me to, at the end of the conversation, basically, to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. In your situation, yeah, the commandment not to commit adultery doesn't apply. That's what he really wanted deep down. Now, thank God that, that over time and over multiple conversations and him beginning to worship regularly and hear preaching regularly, he did be, begin to hear again that, no, these commandments apply to you. And he began to become serious about his spiritual life. But the one who hears and doesn't do is deluded. The second danger, the second characteristic is that people who hear and don't do are forgetful. Verses 23 and 24. It says, for if anyone... Uh, is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. When he looks at himself and he goes away at once, he forgets what it was like. And then in verse 25, it says, Being, don't be a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He's using this absurd idea that, you know, you, as you're getting ready for uh, church this morning, you're looking in the mirror, you know, you're making sure you trimmed your beard correctly, uh, you know, you're making sure that you, you're put together, there's no flyaways, whatever your thing is, you know, you got your makeup, ladies. Um, and, and then the moment you step away, you completely forget what you even look like. You know, that would, that would be such a silly thing. It's almost unbelievably ridiculous that that would happen to someone who's in their right mind. And that's the point. It's, that is silly. That is ridiculous. That's unbelievable that that would happen to someone who's in their right mind. And if you're in your right mind and you look at the Bible, and the second you stop looking at it, you go and begin to think about how you want to live, and forget what God has said about you and how God wants you to live, then, then you're spiritually forgetful. Spiritually forgetful. You're, you are being as absurd as that person who's forgotten what they even look like. And so what are we supposed to not forget? We're supposed to not forget, first of all, what God commands. In verse 25, it's the perfect law, the law of liberty that this person looks into. The hearer... Uh, the hearer is seeing the objective truth, the, the, 
the absolute written desire of God for human beings, how human beings should live, what God says, God's instruction manual, if we can use that, the way humans were designed to live, here's what God says. And then that person is looking and forgetting as soon as they turn away. He's exhorting us, don't forget what God requires. Don't forget the command to love your neighbor as yourself or do unto others as they would, you would have them do unto you as we read in our gospel reading. We have the, the, the message of the gospel and through the gospel, God's law is actually written in our hearts. Love God, love your neighbor. Don't forget what God commands. Now we sometimes hear about God's commands, God's law, and um, we think what that means is God is taking things from us. By putting restrictions on us, by putting boundaries on us, by telling us you can do this, you can't do that, we feel, we feel that it feels like a, a straitjacket, right? Or like Indiana Jones when the wall's coming down. Like you feel like you're being confined into a place. You feel like something's being taken away from you. You know, you feel like God's looking at you going, up. Oh, Curtis is having too much fun. We're going to have to lay down the command on that. But that's not how God works. That's not where the law comes from. He says in verse 25 that the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and obeys it is blessed. There's a promise of blessing. John Calvin is really helpful in this. He says in his ser- one of his sermons on Job, he says, God has no respect of his own prophet. God's not trying to get something. When he gives you a command, God is not getting something. God has no respect of his own prophet. When he gives us the rule of good living and commands us to abstain from evil and requires us to do this or to do that, he considers what is good for us and expedient for our salvation. God knows, God made us. God knows what's best for us. God knows the way that he's designed us to live, the way we will find the good life. And so God gives us commands. It's not that we that we set ourselves free by trying really hard to obey the law. It's that through Christ, we are free now to obey the law. And when we seek to live by God's ways, we engage in, we, we step into the good life, the blessing that is promised in verse 25. So we, we can't forget what God commands. We can't forget that he commands us to be slow to anger, to care for the orphan and the widow, to love your neighbor as yourself. But at the same time, we can't forget about what God says about us in the gospel. Sometimes we forget, you know, we act like we're orphans. We act like we're alone. We act like um, there's no justice in the world. We act in a lot of ways that are contrary to the gospel, but when we remember what God says about us, that if you have faith in Jesus, you are forgiven. That if you have faith in Jesus, you are adopted into his family. If you have faith in Jesus, you're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven in a city that cannot be shaken. There's so many things that we're tempted to forget because we're just finite and fallen and broken. Martin Luther, always good for a soundbite, he says, most necessary it is therefore that we should know the gospel well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. And he says that, the reason he says that is because we forget it continually, right? As soon as you leave worship today, there's going to be, you're just going to default back into the flesh and be thinking about what you want, and all the ways you've been wronged, and all the dreams that you have, and your desires, and it's just going to be a battle, right? Unless you hold in your mind what God says about you in the gospel. And I had a friend in college who, um, you know, when we would, like, I'd go and pick, pick him up, and we'd go out, and his, uh, his or her dad would say, um, remember who you are. 
That's like the last thing that before you left the house, remember who you are. And it didn't just mean like remember the last name or remember the initials that are written on the tag of your undies, right? It means remember who you are and act accordingly. Remember, remember who you belong to. Remember what family you're a part of and live that out. Show your listening by how you live. And then finally, the last danger or the last uh, characteristic of the one who hears but doesn't do is that there's a lack of spiritual initiative. We might just say it more bluntly. There's spiritual laziness to the one who hears but doesn't do. In verse 25, it says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, perseveres, or you could translate that, remains, remains steadfast, something like that, who, who holds fast. You know, we're so, we, we love instant gratification. And if we say, okay, God's word says this, I'm going to go try to apply that to my life. We go try to apply it to our life, and it's not as amazing and instant as we wanted it to be, and we go, well, you know, God really can't fault me because I tried, and he didn't come through on his side of the bargain. No, it says persevere, remain steadfast, become the type of person who lives in this way. Don't make it transactional. Don't make it about the moment. Make it about the journey. Persevere. My I showed my kids this uh, video by a, a YouTuber who has a channel called Veritasium, and he does uh, science and technology videos. And he did one about the science of learning. And he said that, that scientists and psychologists have discovered that human beings basically, there's, there's sort of two tracks in our mind. The, the one track is all the information in your life that you've ever learned that you've now automated, right? How to tie your shoes, how to drive a car, how to brush your teeth. Um, how to do basic math problems, like you have automated a ton of information, you've assimilated that, and now it's become like rapid fire, you can pull it out at any moment, right? And now, and, and that's great, except for sometimes you, you rely on that side of your brain when you ought to rely on the part of your brain that's slow and methodical and intentional, right? So we've all seen the like Jay Leno or, or interview on the street, and you go and ask somebody, who's the president today? And they, you know, they say Ronald Reagan or something like that. It's because they just, they instantly respond without thinking about it, you know, or how many states are there? And they're, they're like, uh, you know, how long does it take for the earth to go around the sun? And they're like 24 hours, you know, that's not, that's not right guys. It's a whole year. It's a whole year, right? Why does that happen? Why does that happen? Because there's a side of your brain that has automated all this data, and that's how you live actually most of your life, is out of that side. Because it's really hard to learn new things. It's really hard to hold on to more than four or five pieces of new information. It's really hard to work through a problem and to, to chip away at it and come to a solution. I think there's a spiritual analogy there. We want our lives to spirit, be spiritually automated. We want it to be easy. We don't want to have to learn new things. We don't want to have to unlearn bad things. We want to live out of that impulse side of things. And, and that, that happens over time. There, your impulses become more and more like Jesus. But, but that's not the whole story. You have to persevere. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes you do have to learn something or unlearn something. And so we have to not be spiritually lazy, not, not lack that spiritual initiative, not try to just automate everything but be intentional and engaged. Not try to live on autopilot. Finally, let me, let me just briefly, very briefly, come back to this idea of being slow to speak. So he's, he's already told us, be, be slow to anger, be quick to hear, and now be slow to speak. And he connects this with worship. And he comes back again to that idea, idea of deception. 
You know, he says, if, if you think that, because if you do outward things, but you don't tame your tongue, you know, you think you're doing outwardly the right things, you know, you come to church weekly, you tithe, uh, you're in a Bible study, that sort of thing, but you're, you're running off at the mouth, gossiping or hurting people with your words, that, that worship of you uh, coming to worship and, and doing your quiet time, that's not pleasing to God. God wants pure worship. God wants to, to see in, in us that what comes, it's not what goes in that defiles a man, but what comes out. He wants us to bridle our tongue and give him worship that honors him. And then he, again, he expands. He goes from uh, slow to speak and then expands that to just more general holiness. He wants religion that's not worthless, but that's pure. And worship that's pure reflects his fatherly heart. You can see he's described as the father in verse 27. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God, the father is this, to visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction. Why does that reflect so deeply the pure worship of God? Because God is a loving father. God cares for you. You know, when we were helpless, like an orphan and a widow, when we were spiritually orphaned, when we had left our good father and sought to be our own lords, our own saviors, our own gods, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This fatherly love that God has extended to you, that's yours, it's right now. If you've never received it, you can receive it right now through faith in Jesus, turning from your sins, admitting that you need it, turning from your sins and saying, Lord, I need this grace in my life. It's for you here because he's a father. And if you've received that grace, then live it out because you show you're listening by how you live. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, so much that, that we left uh, undiscussed, un, un, unpacked, and we pray that uh, as we go this week that these scriptures would rattle around in our minds and hearts and that you would use them, um, that b- them being the implanted word in us would bear the fruit of righteousness. Lord, help us not to be forgetful or deluded or lazy, but to be sincere, to receive your grace and to seek to live it out. Let us be people who not only hear, but do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.